Hello and welcome once again to another edition of Wellbeing. In last week's program, we looked at the management of medicines and how some of them are used. In this week's programs, we'll take a look at the common cold. How does it start? How should we treat it? Are antibiotics recommended? And if not, why not? Once again, it's my pleasure to welcome from GP Access, Dr Annette Crothers, and this week she's joined by pharmacist Sandra Fitzgerald. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. Annette, with summer over and the weather cooling down, should we be getting ready for a few months of sniffles and sneezes with what are probably known as the common cold? But what is the common cold? The common cold is multiple infections of the upper respiratory tract, including the nose, mouth and throat. Symptoms will include sneezing, a blocked or runny nose, a sore throat and a cough. You can sometimes have a fever associated, but it's generally mild when it does occur. How common is it to spread these things? Common colds are really quite contagious. We're just, as you say, we're just starting to see a time now where, we'll, where their frequency increases. They're usually spread by what we call droplet spread, from, from sneezing or coughing, small, small bits of fluid are, are, are transferred. And in other ways is by touching things, that um, germs on fingers can be transferred to toys and pens and phones uh, and, and then transmitted to someone else. Can the virus travel through the air conditioning units in buildings? I mean, if you get one person in an office and they'll come in with a streaming nose, etc., and it seems to go through the whole lot. I think the most common way that a cold is spread is actually by someone having the cold virus on their hands, mm. touching an object and then someone else picking up that object and then touching their eyes, nose or mouth and getting the virus into the body that way. That's the absolute most common way that colds are transmitted. So having the air conditioning and blaming that is not necessarily the way to go. Well, well viruses <coughs> can survive out the body on mm. objects for some time. So, for example, in aeroplanes, that's often a, a mm. mode of transmission when you've got someone on a plane sneezing, uh, people around them can, can be easily infected from then. But still, the poor old air conditioning gets the blame for it. How can we prevent the spreads of cold? The big one is hand washing. Very simple. But if people are, are really aware of washing their hands quite frequently, that's going to reduce, uh, reduce spread. And it's important that we talk about technique for hand washing. Very simple mm. thing that we all take for granted, but a lot of people uh, you know, wave the hands under the tap and, and, and think that's, that's washing. So uh, correct technique is use liquid soap, use running water, wash the hands thoroughly while counting from 1 to 10, rinse them, count from 1 to 10, dry them on a paper towel. Just on that subject, you sometimes go into the ladies' toilet and they come out and they open the door, turn the tap on, flick the fingers under the tap and dry them. That's not washing your hands, is it? That's right. You haven't <laughs> mentioned the use of soap. That, that, that's, that's very important. Yeah. And yeah, your half, half done is often not, not effective. Yeah. There's lots of times we should wash our hands, not only just going to the toilet, but uh, certainly handing any food after eating lots and lots of occasions. If, if people did it a lot more frequently, we might they might actually protect themselves a lot better. So I guess it's just reinforcing that habit of being aware of what we do when we've got our hands under the tap. Sure. And it's good general hygiene, the old-fashioned cover your mouth and nose when coughing and sneezing. Mm. Uh, some of these things seem to get forgotten these days. And there's even a suggestion, don't use your hand to, to cover your mouth when, when you're coughing because the hand then goes on to... To other mm. objects, in, in fact, you know, upside the sleeve or you know into a tissue mm. is a, is much better, uh, much better practice. I guess the tissue thing is also if you use a tissue and then throw it away properly, wrap it up and throw it away, and not leave it sitting on the desk or back in your pocket or or whatever, Correct. it needs to be properly disposed of. 
That's right. What actually causes a cold? If we go out and we're cold, you know, temperature-wise, is that what will start off a cold? That's a a really common conception in, in the community, but it's not completely right. Colds are caused by viruses. There are more than 200 viruses that will, will cause common colds. The viruses are around more all year, but we, we do certainly seem to get more colds in winter. And we think that's actually due to changes in habits, such as uh, spending more time indoors, windows closed, heaters on, in closer proximity to other people. But that's the main reason we see more colds in, in mm. autumn and winter. The, the thing about sitting in a, a warm room through the evening and then getting up and going into a cold bedroom is one that I've heard, you know, when we change the temperature. Yes, that's right. I got, I got a chill. <laughs> yeah. That's the other one that we hear. But, but no, that's the, the, that's a myth. That, that is a myth. Uh, viruses are caused by, colds are caused by viruses. <laughs> so do we know where they actually start? You know, as you say, they're wandering around all through the year, but why is it that they seem to appear more? Well, well viruses are present all the time, but some people have developed an immunity to them, so they may still have, have the virus on, in their system, you know, oh, okay. living in their nose, yeah. if you like, but they've actually developed an immunity, but it can be spread to other people who aren't immune. Oh, okay. So when are people with the common cold most infectious? It's quite a long period of time, which is a bit disconcerting. Uh, you can be infectious for a day or two before the symptoms occur. People are most infectious at the start of the cold, when the nose is streaming and the sneezing's happening and the, and the early coughing's happening. But they can remain infectious for up to three weeks. Oh, okay. So that's a very long time, really. So why does the nose stream and the eyes run? Is that to, so the body can get rid of the virus? It's the body's natural reaction to having a virus in there. It, it creates this clear mucus to try and flush the virus out of the body. So we just end up with a, a sore nose or whatever while the body's working overtime and actually trying to help us. Yep. How long does it take to, to really get over the common cold? They're usually better in seven to ten days, but uh, the cough can sometimes hang on for, for several weeks, you know, up to three weeks. So it, we're better to stay reasonably isolated in those early days? In general, it's, it's obviously not practical to be out of the system for, mm. for three weeks. So, But yes, in, in, the, in the very first couple of days uh, when, when there's lots of, of virus around, it's, it's probably preferable to be away from the public. Should we be tucked up in bed or just wandering around the house and doing normal things? Or just depend on how you feel. Different people react differently, but there's there's no reason if if one fills up to it, you can. It's better to be pottering around than mm. uh, than, than complete bed rest. Mm. Sandra, will antibiotics make a difference to the common cold? No, unfortunately not. Uh, antibiotics only work on infections caused by bacteria and they have no effect on infections caused by viruses. And as Annette's been saying, common colds are caused by viruses and they get better all on their own with the help of your immune system. So contrary to popular opinion, antibiotics won't help a common cold. They don't help a cold get better faster. They won't stop a cold from getting worse and they won't stop a cold from spreading to other people. In fact, there are currently no medicines available to prevent or treat viruses that cause the common cold. And we have a really great body with a really great immune system that helps fight these viruses all by themselves. Can taking antibiotics for the common cold in fact be harmful? Yeah, and there are, there are a few issues here. The first is that um, using an antibiotic when it's not needed, such as for the common cold, can make them less effective when they are needed. Bacteria are quite clever and they can adapt and find ways to survive the effects of an antibiotic. And the more often we use an antibiotic, the greater the chance of our bad bacteria becoming resistant to it. 
so the antibiotic may no longer work. We then become carriers of these antibiotic-resistant bacteria and can spread them to others. And in fact, children who've taken an antibiotic for an acute respiratory infection will have twice the amount of antibiotic-resistant bacteria in their bodies as they had before they took an antibiotic. And this comes down after about two or three months, but the volume still remains slightly higher than before they had the infection. And uh, these changes can then uh, sustain a higher level of antibiotic resistance in the community. So you can see it's not such a good thing to take an Mm. antibiotic. Um, when it's not needed. The second issue is that um, healthy bodies are literally teeming with millions of bacteria living in harmony and bacteria help us digest food and fight infection and only a very small percentage of the bacteria are disease causing but antibiotics do kill off both the good and bad bacteria and that upsets the harmonious balance which then leads to unwanted side effects like stomach upsets, diarrhoea, thrush and allergic reactions. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're talking about the common cold. And you say there are no benefits in the majority of cases. So what are the means of where an antibiotic might be necessary? Well, there are some people in our community who may benefit from antibiotics. Research shows that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are much more likely to develop complications such as pneumonia and ear damage from respiratory tract infections. So antibiotics may be needed more often in, in these groups. Also, some ear and throat infections may be caused by viruses or bacteria while most will get better on their own if it's a bacterial infection then an antibiotic Mm. might be needed and if someone is unsure it's important that they discuss that with their doctor so side effects the cold itself will look after itself but it's the side effects of colds that can develop into as you say, pneumonia or pleurisy, we, those we talk about a, a secondary bacterial infection where, with a weakened immune system, the bacteria oh, okay. will invade secondarily. Yeah, and that's when we we may consider using antibiotics. So again, the cold is all on its own, and it's the side effects that you're treating, in actual fact, the complications. Yeah. Yes, Sandra, if we've got a cold and we're feeling pretty rotten, Mm -hmm. what can we do to help ourselves if you're not going to give me antibiotics? Okay. Well, the first thing that usually helps is just some reassurance that it is a simple viral infection that will get better on its own, and that's what a lot of parents of young children need, just that reassurance. Um, After this, there are two key things, and that is to take it easy, let the body rest, and relieve the symptoms if they're bothering you. So just be kind to yourself and don't try and plough on. Give the body a chance to rest up and let the immune system do its job. Drink something soothing and encourage children to drink their usual amount of fluids. And it's also important to try and avoid exposure to cigarette smoke. You say about drinking, do we need to drink more than we perhaps normally would? No, just remain your normal level of fluids to to remain hydrated. Because sometimes when you're sick, you know, you don't necessarily feel like drinking and you Mm. have to remind children sometimes if they're feeling a little bit tired and lethargic and unwell to, to drink their normal amount of fluids. So if the kids are a bit resistant, I don't feel like drinking that, (laughs) can you sort of bribe them with um, cordials and and those sorts of things? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, just use use all the mummy tricks you have up your sleeve. Um, Maybe make them some ice blocks to to drink or or things like watermelon have quite a high water content in them. Um, Using a quarter quarter juice in three quarters water if they they prefer that. Mm. But usually you can find some way of making the kids drink. The problem, as you say, is if the kids become dehydrated, that that's it's, it's not a, a common. Problem. It's not a common problem. Mm. It's, yeah, it's just reminding them to drink. Usually, most kids will be happy to have a drink if you remind them. So, if we keep the patient hydrated mm-hmm. and 
rest up a bit if they're feeling miserable. Mm-hmm. What else will help to relieve the symptoms? Yeah, if you're finding the symptoms bothersome, there are a few things you can do, and they some involve taking a medicine and some of them don't. And what you do depends on what the symptoms are that are bothering you. So, for example, if you have blocked sinuses or if you have a, a runny nose, you can use something like a saline a nose spray or saline nose drops. These can help clear the mucus, particularly in younger children. Um, you can also do steam inhalation and there are various ways of doing that but particularly with children they should only inhale steam from a shower because if they um, use steam from a bowl of hot water that can burn the lining of the child's nose and of course the hot water can then be Mm -hmm. a burns hazard. You can also use a decongestant either in the form of a nose spray which is something like Drixine or Otrovin or a tablet like Codril or Sudafed and these can help some adults but before you use them you really need to check with your doctor or pharmacist because they're not safe if you have certain uh, medical conditions like some heart problems or if you're taking other medications there can be interactions. These decongestants are also unlikely to be effective for children under 12 years of age and they can cause some side effects so we don't recommend them. And the liquid forms of these medicines, like the Demazins and the Dimataps, aren't suitable for use in children under two and have been taken off the market for this age group. They've not been shown to be of benefit and there have been some problems with their use overseas. And then, so that's if you've got the the nose symptoms. If you've got a sore throat or a cough, you can do a few things like gargling warm salty water or you can suck on ice or throat lozenges. Um, Or you can use some common pain-relieving medications like paracetamol or ibuprofen or aspirin just to help ease the pain of the sore throat. Again, you need to check with your doctor or pharmacist because some people can't take these medicines and particularly aspirin is not suitable for children. So for kids, it is best to stick to paracetamol or ibuprofen. The throat lozenges, do they contain medication that could interact with other things that are being taken? They can do. There's quite a wide variety of throat lozenges out there, so again, check with your pharmacist Mm -hmm. when you go and buy them. But the main benefit of using a throat lozenger is actually just sucking and producing saliva, so even just your little eucalyptus drops are going to give you a bit of relief from a sore throat. So yeah. fisherman's friend for those who are brave enough? Absolutely. Anything <laughs> that you can suck on and, and, yeah. and get the saliva going will help. Okay. What about using vitamins and mineral supplements? Yeah, that's an interesting question. For children, there's not enough information from good quality clinical trials to show that vitamin or mineral supplements or herbal medicines can help or prevent colds. And there's also not enough evidence to prove that they're safe and, and some of them can cause side effects. So in general, we don't recommend them for children. Um, For adults, there are a range of supplements available, of which three of the most commonly used ones are vitamin C, zinc and echinacea. Um, When you look at the trials of these medications, vitamin C supplements haven't been shown yet to prevent colds or give reliable effects in treating colds in these clinical trials. Um, Zinc has also not shown to um, shorten the length of a cold or the severity of symptoms and can cause side effects. Um, with echinacea, unfortunately there's a wide variety of echinacea medicines available and most of them haven't been tested in good quality clinical trials and in the trials that have been done, results suggest that echinacea is unlikely to prevent or treat the common cold. And all medicines, including those herbal and natural medicines, can cause unwanted effects and may interact with other medicines. So always check with your doctor or pharmacist before taking them. There's a, I suppose it's a myth that goes around the community at this time of the year or, and when colds start to show themselves that we should increase the amount of vitamin C that mm. we take, mm. either in the form of fruit, which is probably good for us anyway. Absolutely. But does increasing the amount of vitamin C make a difference to preventing? This hasn't been shown in the, in the good quality clinical trials, no. You know, maybe, maybe one day in the future a trial will be done that does show that, but of the information we have available so far, no. 
So the the idea of of dosing ourselves up, if you like, before a cold gets there, mm. is mind over matter, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, the problem with vitamin C, um, if you do take large quantities, it can cause some nasty diarrhoea. <laughs> oh, okay. So if if it doesn't get you one work, get you the yeah. other. And that we hear about parents who seem to complain their child is always sick and they get quite frustrated. How common are common colds and what advice can you give mm-hmm. to parents whose kids seem to be continually the running candles and the mummy I'm sick? Yes, that's a really common uh, complaint in, in, in a GP surgery as, as mums are coming back and back with, with kids with colds. But when we explain to them that children can actually get five to ten colds per year and adults on average get two to four colds per year. So for, particularly for children, if they're getting ten colds a year, it seems like most of the year they're sick and it's no wonder that the parents are concerned. But it's worth noting that over 200 viruses can cause the common cold and there's often more than one strain circulating at once. So as the children are meeting a whole lot of viruses they've not met before and don't have immunity, that they need to get them and develop that immunity so, mm. so next time that they meet that virus they, uh, they won't get sick. How much chance is there of the common cold developing into flu or, or chest infection in the general run of things? It's really people with impaired immunity who will end up with complications from the cold. Okay. But I need to point out that there's a great difference between the common cold and, and flu, which is a the influenza virus is oh. a completely separate virus. Perhaps we can talk about that in, in just a moment. You're listening to Wellbeing, and I'm Iris Nichols, and together with Annette Carruthers and pharmacist Sandra Fitzgerald, we're talking about the common cold and where the common cold sometimes can lead. And then what is the difference between the common cold, which I guess basically stays in the head, and the things like flu and bronchitis and all of those things? You've said that, that one's a bacteria and the other is a virus. What makes it mutate? Sure. Just, just, just to clarify, we, we've mentioned that the common cold is, is a viral upper respiratory tract infection. Influenza is also caused by a virus, but it's a more serious illness. A lot of people will mistakenly call the common cold the flu. But flu symptoms usually start with a high fever and that you may feel sick enough to go to bed, whereas cold symptoms, generally you can, you can keep functioning. Flu symptoms include irritation in the throat and lungs, but a dry cough, shivering, sweating and severe muscle aches. The, the flu tends to make the whole body ache, whereas the common cold, as you say, is more just in the, in the upper respiratory tracts. We hear a lot at this time of the year about having flu vaccines, particularly for the older person and those who have an impaired immune system. How good are they? That's one. And the other one is, I've heard it said often, oh, I had my flu needle today and now I've got this terrible cold. <laughs> are the two related? So there's two questions there. <laughs> That's right. Look, the, in, the influenza vaccine is the single most important thing that people can do to prevent them, them getting influenza. There is nothing live in the, in the influenza vaccine that can give people an infection. And it may be just a coincidence that one of the two to four colds they're going to get a year at this time of year is, is what occurs from that. The annual influenza vaccine is recommended for anybody over six months of age who wishes to reduce the likelihood of becoming ill with influenza. But there are some groups that are particularly at risk and now is the time that we would encourage them to get into the doctor's surgery and, and get their vaccine. Mm. And that's particularly anyone over 65 years of age, any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person who's over 15 years of age, 
that individuals who have any heart disease, chronic respiratory disease, plus emphysema or asthma, diabetes, in fact, any chronic disease that requires regular medical follow-up or um, hospitalisation, mm. it's a good idea to, um, to have that re- annual flu needle. An instance I know of um, a lady who can honestly say, I've never had a cold in my life, but ends up on a regular basis with chest infections, you know, pleurisy, bronchitis. How can she miss out on the common cold if, if they're floating around? Is it simply her body natural immunity to the cold virus? It's an interesting situation. Anyone can protect themselves with a healthy diet and, and, and good mm. hygiene practices. Some people do seem to have better immune systems than others. But as I said, people who've, who've got a chronic lung condition of some completely different cause, whether it's inherited or a weakness in the lungs, mm. they're the ones who are most at risk and, and they're the ones who really need to protect themselves with influenza vaccine and, and, and also a pneumonia vaccine. We know about the flu vaccine, but the pneumonia thing, how does that work? Well, it protects us from, from a bacteria this time, the, the pneumococcal bacteria. Okay. And it's, it's an interesting one. It's only recommended two injections five years apart. So for everyone over 65 years of age, the GP will offer that mm. vaccination. And once they've had their two, they're considered immune for life. And again, it's also offered to people of younger ages who are at risk. We go into the surgery and, and the doctor will say, when did you last have your pneumonia thing? And you think, oh, yeah, three, four, five, ten years, whatever. If we have it sooner than five years, does that matter? No, you can sometimes end up with a bit of a red arm, but that's, oh, that's okay. the only real adverse consequence from it. Now, these days with GP computer systems, the information is much more up to date, but it's mm. when the, vac- the immunisations happened before the computer system was, was instigated that that can be a problem. And also for people who move from surgery to surgery, it's mm. one good reason to have a consistent GP that you see, so those records are kept in the one place. Let's go back to the people who are liable if you like to getting the flu uh, and you've mentioned quite a few of them what about uh, girls who are pregnant that's another in- important group that is recommended that influenza vaccine be offered in advance to women planning a pregnancy and to pregnant women who may be who are expecting to be in the second or third part of their pregnancy during the influenza season why is it so important that these girls take extra precaution what does it do to the fetus if, if they get the flu? Does it damage the fetus? It's not considered a high risk. It's, it's mm. always a potential risk. But we don't like anyone have being really unwell with a high fever during pregnancy. Mm. And the worst possible time is in the newborn days. Uh, if you've got a sick mum with the flu and a risk of passing that on to a little baby, that's the situation that we want to avoid. Oh, okay. And I'd also like to just give a plug along those lines for the whooping cough vaccine. Mm. That, uh, it's been recently announced that free whooping cough vaccine is available to women who are planning a pregnancy uh, and also to parents or grandparents who, or workers who may be caring for infants under one. Uh, there's a big effort at the moment to try and reduce the spread of whooping cough, another upper respiratory tract infection uh, through the community. It seems that at the moment whooping cough is, is sort of galloping away. You hear a lot more about adults, um, people in their 40s and 50s who are presenting with whooping cough that weren't around before. And that's precisely the reason for this initiative, that unfortunately the childhood vaccination tends to wear off over time and that's Mm. why the adults are now presenting with whooping cough and why we're really targeting parents and grandparents in this this initiative. 
how about whooping cough and those types of things for for people who are um, residents of home home care nursing homes is what I'm looking for. That's a really big issue. Uh, we really like to protect aged care facilities from from these infections. So we encourage all residents of nursing homes, the staff, but also people who visit regularly to be fully vaccinated. Uh, According, especially mm. for for influenza, it's it's a real biggie. And I I guess also people who do a lot of travelling who sort of mix in with different groups of people as a regular thing. Yeah, and people don't want their overseas trip uh, dam- damaged by uh, ha- having a week down with the flu. Mm. And and we've we've mentioned aeroplanes is a great source of infection where you've got hundreds of people sitting in a confined space for a long period of time. So we often recommend influenza vaccine uh, when people are travelling. So, Sandra, to wrap up, the main messages for people regarding if they have end up with the common cold is to what? Look, there are a few things. Common colds don't need antibiotics. They just need a little bit of common sense. Rest up and take it easy. Um, use some simp- simple measures for some symptom relief. And most importantly, try and reduce the spread to others by using effective hand washing, covering your mouth and nose when you cough or sneeze with the inside of your elbow, keeping your hands away from your eyes, nose and mouth and using disposable tissues that you dispose of immediately after using and then washing your hands some more. All sounds very, very much common sense and all of that. So if people want a bit more information, where can they get it? Yep, the best place is at the National Prescribing Service website. This is their Common Colds Need Common Sense campaign and they can be found at www.nps.org.au. And for those of you that don't know about the National Prescribing Service, they're a world leader in the quality use of medicines with the aim of trying to improve the health of all Australians by providing us with some independent evidence-based information. And when you go to the website, you'll find loads of information and resources there for parents and childcare centres, preschools and schools, as well as for other people and, and health professionals. And some of the great resources available include uh, brochures and posters and newsletter articles that you can put in your school newsletter and some colour-in sheets to try and help teach kids about these messages about washing your hands and, and covering your mouth and nose and things like that. And all these resources are available free of charge and some of them you can download directly from the web and others you can order through the NPS. So there's no excuse that, um, in fact, I didn't know I was infectious anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> My guests today have been Dr Annette Carruthers and pharmacist Sandra Fitzgerald, and both of whom work with GP Access. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. I mean, you just sort of run on and give us so much information and the time disappears so quickly. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming in and giving us your time. Pleasure. As always, my thanks to you for listening and until we meet again on behalf of us all here, may I say we hope your colds and influenza symptoms are only minimal and indeed we wish you well.